Good morning, Forest View. Thank you so much for joining us. My name is Nat Evans. I'm the lead pastor here, and it's thank you for tuning in. Whether you're watching live or you're watching this later on in the weekend, we trust that you are doing well. Uh, as Cole introduced at the top of our service, we are going to spend some time talking about hope. Hope is an interesting thing to discuss in our current cultural moment. There's this huge desperate need for hope in our world. There's all sorts of despair and discouragement. And at the same time, we live in a culture where hope is often deemed as naive or in some cases, morally reprehensible. I mean, it's, it's this idea of turning a blind eye to the brokenness, to the injustice, to the things that are wrong in our world. And yet for us as Christians, we want to be people of hope, regardless of what our culture thinks or says. There's a, a often quoted scripture passage from 1 Peter verses chapter 3, verse 5, which got, or 15. I've got it up on the screen here. Always be prepared to give an answer to everyone who asks you to give the reason for the hope that you have. Now, often when this verse is cited by Christians, it's used to talk about apologetics, about this idea of giving logical, reasonable explanations for the existence of God. But the interesting thing is when we read this passage in its original context, it is giving an answer to why they have hope, which brings to the forefront another question, which is, wait a minute, why were they asking the Christians about the hope that they have? I would argue that Christians historically and, and today, if we're faithful, is that we are to be a people of hope. And this is a provocative hope that will generate questions, will make people ask, hey, why are you so hopeful? When we think through the many different, uh, if you were to go through and ask, kind of do a family feud survey type thing, like the top 500 people are asked, and what are the top three things that people say about Christians? What are those top three things that we would typically hear? Chances are hope is not in the top three. And yet, for Peter, and I would argue for us as a community, we long to be a people who are known for our hope. And so we're going to take some time this week and the next couple of weeks to talk about the topic of hope. So if you have a Bible, I want to encourage you to open it up to Psalm 42. We're going to be spending most of our time looking at this passage today. Psalm 42. I'm going to begin starting at verse 1, um, and we're going to take a little bit extra time at uh, Psalm, or we're going to read up to verse 5. So let me just begin with this, starting at verse 1. Psalm 42. For the director of music, a masculine of the sons of Korah. As the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul thirsts for God, for the living God, when can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while people say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go to the house of God under the protection of the mighty one, with shouts of joy and praise among the festive throng. Why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? 
Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. So our psalm begins, it's a, it's a psalm uh, that, that's, uh, there's this longing, this desire for God. And at the same time, it is being contrasted with the challenges, this difficult time that the psalmist is going through. They talk about their tears being their food day and night and how there's essentially this crowd of people gathering around, mocking them, saying, where is your God in the midst of all your suffering? There seems to be this underlying assumption that the pain that the psalmist is going through is reason to believe that God has given up on them, given up on him or her, and given up, uh, and that they should just abandon all hope together. And as we get to verse 5, the verse I kind of want to take a little bit extra time to pick apart this morning, the psalmist asks, why, my soul, are you downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Now, the words here, first off, we would just be saying, we look at this and we see that there's this inner being that, that is uh, where there is this turmoil and things are being turned upside down. Notice the psalmist talks about my soul and within me. There's this inner part, this, this uh, kind of this energy or this whatever it is that is behind the scenes. You can't measure it. You can't quantify it. And yet th- this turmoil that this person is going through just it reaches deep, down into their heart, into their soul. And they cry out. They ask these questions. Why are you downcast? They are doing this introspection, looking into their own hearts and asking, why am I downcast? That language for downcast is like, why am I at such a low, dark point? I mean, this is the time where you're sitting on the couch and you just don't want to get off. It's just, oh, everything just feels useless and meaningless and pointless. And then it's contrasted with the next verse. Why so disturbed within me? Go back. Why so disturbed within me? We see this language. There's this this idea of like just all the energy being sucked out of it with their downcast. But then here disturbed is this like this uprising, this uproar within them. Is this contrast between just like everything feels meaningless and pointless. And at the same time, there's this drive within them to fight. There's this anger. There's this rage boiling up inside them. I mean, what better picture is there than all of our experiences as we walk through this season of a third lockdown? I mean, how many of us have just felt like, oh, I've got no energy. And at the same time, you go on like the, the CBC website, you read a news story and you jump in on the comment section and it's like all caps and just, just rage, just pouring out of you. It shows this inner conflict that is going on within the psalmist. Why, my soul, are you so downcast? Why so disturbed within me? And there's this hopelessness that that seems to carry on in both of these, whether it's the the feeling of, oh, this just doesn't mean anything. There's no point to anything. Or I am so angry and furious about all of this. There is this sense of complete and utter hopelessness or despair. Despair is what you get when you're going through pain and challenges and difficulty and it all just seems pointless and meaningless. There's no reason for it. There's no bigger picture, bigger story. There's no ultimate reward at the end of it all. It just is meaningless. 
little while ago, I was having a conversation with a young man who is in a, uh, doing great. He's in a very financially secure position with work. He's, he's uh, climbing the ranks. He's doing very, very well in the company he works with. And yet he is walking through this feeling of hopelessness and despair because he goes, I'm doing this job, but I just, I'm putting in all these extra hours and working really hard, but it just feels completely pointless and meaningless. The psalmist's response is not to dwell or to live in this, though, is to then take a step back and go, hey, what has this despair, these feelings of meaninglessness that I'm experiencing, what does it tell me? And the psalmist continues, go to the next slide. Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. Our psalmist is aware that that his hope is not in his circumstances. It's not being able to get everything figured out in terms of getting his mental state exactly right. It's not about everything getting better. Rather, his hope needs to rest in God. In some translations, it actually says, my salvation and my God. To realize that, no, no, I am completely, my hope is entirely in God. I actually think that these questions are important for us. These questions of despair, the why questions. And when we experience those moments of, oh, this feels meaningless or pointless, or those moments of, oh, there's this rage bubbling up inside of me and I don't know how to channel it well. Because I would argue that in many cases, those feelings of despair, hopelessness, they point us to what we are actually putting our hope in. The reason why the psalmist's words carry so much weight is that he's looking at his circumstances. He's looking at the opinions of other people and he's, he's realizing, oh, wait a minute, I'm putting all of my hope in those things. But where my hope really, truly needs to lie is in God. This seems like a funny thing to say, but I actually think there is a gift in the experience of despair insofar as it forces us to ask deep deeply penetrating questions about our own hearts, our own souls, our own inner being, and where our hope lies. Because our hope is called to lie in, to rest in God. Theologians and biblical scholars, Sylvia Kiesmat and Brian Walsh, in their book, Romans Disarmed, They do a beautiful job talking about the issue of hopelessness. Here's what they say. Idolatry can never deliver on its promises, can never live up to its its ideological rhetoric, always disappoints, and therefore breeds hopelessness. When we experience those moments of despair, of hopelessness, take a step back, do some introspection, and we are invited to check and see, oh, wait, Are there things in my life that I'm looking to to give me hope rather than God? I would actually argue that in our culture today, we see this culture that is, there's this undercurrent of cynicism and despair. 
And in some ways, this, this flows out of a modernist period where we thought everything was going to keep getting better and better and technological revolutions and all these different things that we were going to see happening, medical breakthroughs and new tech breakthroughs and, and just everything is bound to keep getting better and better and improving and improving. And then we realize, oh, wait a minute, um, those tech breakthroughs, those medical breakthroughs, they haven't solved all of our problems that the world is still broken, that death is still a reality for all of us, and as much as we try, evil still seems to reign supreme. And in a culture that has no hope in God, I mean, despair makes all the sense in the world. For us as Christians, we are invited to, to ask this difficult question of ourselves. Where are we placing our hope? For many of us, I think our hope, maybe it lies in politicians. Maybe it lies in getting the right people in government and the wrong people out. Maybe it lies in, in different leaders or different political things being passed. Or, or maybe it's, it's about a self thing. It's about self-improvement. It's about getting to that place of, of wellness in our own lives, which are good things. These are not things to be bad or to, to be angry about or to ignore or to deny. But at the same time, this is not the place where we want our hope to lie because our hope is ultimately in God. In the God who has reconciled all of creation to himself. In the God who rules through grace and who brings righteousness and justice to the earth. The God who has given us forgiveness of sins, and through that we experience his eternal life. And the God who even talks about the resurrection, new life that is to come where sin and evil and death is not the end, but that our greatest hope is in the life to come in the redemption of our bodies, and in God's new creation. That is where our hope needs to lie. And in the midst of a broken, not right world, we cling to that hope and we proclaim that hope. Now, it's interesting because sometimes for us, we can get caught up like the psalmist. We look at our circumstances. We think of the pain and the suffering and the difficult things that we are going through. And it is so easy to simply interpret the suffering that we are going through as being God giving up on us and abandoning us. But that was never the response of the first Christians. Notice Paul's response as he's talking about hope and suffering for, in his letter to the Romans. Chapter 5, the Apostle Paul writes this, And we boast in the hope of the glory of God. Not only so, but we also glory in our sufferings. It means we wear them as a badge of honor because we know that suffering produces perseverance. Perseverance, character, and character Hope. Now, let's just stop there. I want to hold on to that. Now, there's this sequence that is happening in this. 
Now, a lot of the time we will hear something similar or we might interpret this as what doesn't kill me only makes me stronger. Either you're thinking about Nietzsche, the, the philosopher, or you're thinking about Kelly Clarkson, the pop singer, whichever one it is. Uh, that's this idea of, oh, well, hey man, I survived that. And so therefore it's going to make me stronger. But that is not Paul's intent here. Rather, he is saying that even the suffering we experience, it's not meaningless. It's not meaningless because God can use it in our lives to make us into a people of hope. As we suffer, that that it helps us to, to kind of be endure and to continue to be faithful in the midst of the challenges and the suffering and the difficulty that we face. And that perseverance begins to grow within us making us the kind of people that are more and more like Jesus. And as that happens, well then, then we have all sorts of hope. And here's what we can, the promise that we have about this hope. This is not just some naive, just, just uh, putting our head in the ground, ignoring all the problems in the world around us. Rather, continue on what Paul has to say here. He says, this is hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And so for us, in the midst of the challenges that we face, in the midst of the disappointments as we walk through, both individually and as a church community, as we go into those hospital rooms with people who are sick, as we have those tough and difficult conversations with people that just, oh, it's like, oh, seriously, they're going through this. This is what's happening. We can know in the midst of all those things that we are a people oriented towards hope. And we don't run away and flee from the suffering in this world. We don't ignore it or act like it's not there, pretend it's not happening, or tell people, hey, just look on the bright side. No, no, for us, we acknowledge that the sin and evil and death are real things in this world and they are things that break the heart of God. And yet for us, we point to a hope beyond ourselves. Go to the next slide. Suffering. Suffering produces perseverance, which produces character, which produces hope. I have found that the church, when it is at its best, is not when it completely removes itself from the darkest, difficult places in our world. I've found that Christians, we are at our best, not when we see suffering and we run away from it and we move away from it, but rather when we move towards it. And we go there, we enter into it, we share in the pain and the tears And we continue to point to a hope beyond ourselves. Theologian George MacDonald says this about suffering. The son of God suffered unto death, not that men might not suffer, but that their sufferings might be like his. And as we suffer, We can have hope because we realize that in that process, we are becoming more and more like Jesus. Eugene Peterson, in his book, The Long Obedience in the Same Direction, 
talks about a Christian's approach to suffering. And it's not for us just simply to respond and say, well, suck it up. Or, hey, well, you know what? Compare yourself to what other people are going through. It's really not that bad. But for Eugene Peterson, he says this, suffering is set squarely, openly, passionately before God. It is acknowledged and expressed. It is described and lived. For Eugene Peterson, the Christian is not someone who leaves, leaves suffering behind, but rather who enters into it, brings it out before God, and honestly can come before God and say, God, this isn't right. This isn't in sync with your heart. And when we are able to honestly do that, we are then able to honestly offer hope. This is why lamenting is an important part of the Christian tradition. Lament is when we cry out to God, when we bring the burdens and the brokenness in our lives and in our world to God and say, God, this is broken and messed up. Please, we need you to fix it because we can't do it on our own. I just simply describe it this way. Lament is the refusal to settle for anything less than the world as God would have it. And so as we look at our world and we see its brokenness, we see lies running rampant. We see destructive ideas taking root in people's minds and hearts. As we see the the alienation and isolation that is happening between people. As we see the way in which sin continues to just take people, those hearts away from the heart of God. And we lament these things that we see. Uh, Throughout the book of Lamentations, this entire book in the Old Testament that is geared towards lamenting. It invites us to cry out to God, God, remember us. Lord, remember your people. So as we conclude this message of hope, for us, lamenting is not us saying, oh, it's, it's not us just being overly pessimistic. Rather, lamenting is actually focusing our hearts on the one true one who actually is our hope. Lamenting forces us to confront the idols in our lives, the the things that we have looked to for hope, the things that we have assumed would solve all of our problems, and instead to reorient our hearts towards God and the hope of his coming kingdom. And so in conclusion, I, I simply want to take some time to be quiet and for us to bring the burdens in our lives the frustrations. Maybe this is a moment or some time for you to simply ask those questions. Why? Why is there this despair within my heart? Why, my soul, are you so downcast? Why so disturbed within me? Maybe for you, this is a time to ask that. To to take an inventory of your heart, your soul, about where have you been placing your hope? And then my invitation for you is to turn to God and allow him to be your hope. Heavenly Father, like the psalmist, we cry out to you, why? Why are we downcast? 
Why, why are we so disturbed within ourselves? I mean, what is going on inside of us? We pray, Heavenly Father, that you would bring to the surface, that you would make us aware of the places that we have put our hope in. Heavenly Father, we long to be a people of hope. A people who would live a provocative, questionable hope in this world. We pray that you'd give us wisdom and discernment. And Lord God, in the midst of whatever challenges or struggles or suffering that we are going through, Lord, would you remind us again of the one true hope that we have in you. We acknowledge that sin and evil and death is real in this world. But we hold to the truth that you have overcome all those things through the cross and resurrection. And so, Lord, lead us into those places in our hearts, in our lives, and in our world where we can go and proclaim the hope that we have in you. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.